Hello, all you fantastic people out there. You are listening to the Health Science Podcast, the podcast where we break down health science research. We want to make you knowledgeable and health science research approachable. I'm your host, Devin Box. Daniel Hughes is the man on the mic for the intro music, so big thanks to him. If you want to find more of uh, his music, you can find the information in the description below. My co-anchor today is also the host of the Fiscal Frisk podcast, where you can learn about fiscal and monetary policy. Can anyone guess who that might be? Who? Oh, it's Zach Hunter. Uh, Zach, how are you doing today? I'm as as great as a double-double. As a double-double? Great great day to be in Canada. Wow. Also, (laughs) co-anchor today. I'm your co-anchor every day. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, you get more love than that. I, I give you a cool shout out every time, so okay. I'm not worried about you. All right. Now, I have no excuse to not be great today because I'm not only in the company of one great person, Thank you. but two. The always wonderful Christine Gertzen joins us today. Christine, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on here today, guys. Now, I know you were out golfing this morning, which kind of got rained out, but I'm sure you would have been kind of the sub 90 column there for the strokes yeah pretty much we'll go with that that. i mean you you can speculate a lower store score because you got rained out exactly you could have hit the course record you could have got all those eagles on the back nine (laughs) (laughs) now christine's new to the show so i'll kind of give her a formal introduction here for all the listeners uh, Christine did her undergraduate in human kinetics at Guelph University. She has a master's degree in kinesiology from Western, which is where we met. And if you've listened to our episode uh, with Stephanie regarding exercise and pregnancy, Christine has the same supervisor, meaning she's got some really cool stuff to talk about. Now, I don't want to bore the listeners too much with my voice. So Christine is going to do most of the talking. Uh, Zach and I are going to kind of listen and kind of spark discussion where we see fit. Um, so Christine, why don't you start by kind of introducing your topic and we've got the same document, so we'll do our best to kind of follow along with you. All right. Thanks so much, Devin. Um, so today I'm going to be talking mainly about, uh, the influences of anxiety on pregnancy and how we can use exercise to, uh, modify these and, uh, help pregnant women. Sweet. So the first topic we should talk about is actually like, what is anxiety? What, how do we categorize it? So anxiety is considered an emotional response or a condition that causes uh, people feelings of tension, apprehension, nervousness, or worry. It is actually the experienced response that people feel to stress. So there's a big stress response that goes on in, in the human body, and it involves a whole bunch of different hormones and a whole bunch of different um, axes in the body. Right. So the biggest one we'll talk about today is called the HPA axis. Um, or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Mm-hmm. So this axis in the body releases uh, multiple different hormones that act on the body in different ways. Um, so these can be um, hormones such as CRH, which stands for corticotropin-releasing hormone. Um, another one is ACTH, which stands for adrenocorticotropin hormone. And then um, cortisol is the biggest one that uh, a lot of people hear um, as the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why um, anxiety and pregnancy? So typically women are actually two times more likely to develop an anxiety disorder as compared to men. And that does not, obviously that includes pregnant women, but that isn't just pregnant women. So women in general tend to be more vulnerable 
to um, anxiety because they have so many different hormonal fluctuations that they go through during reproduction. Um, so that things such as um, puberty, uh, menses, um, pregnancy, your hormones are fluctuating constantly, um, postpartum, as well as menopause. So these changing levels of sex hormones feed back onto that HPA axis that I was talking about before, and they influence the release of those stress hormones. So how do we measure anxiety? So there's a, a questionnaire called the State Trait Anxiety Inventory. It is one of the most commonly used uh, measures of anxiety. Um, and it is consists of 40 questions total, um, 20 questions that relate to state anxiety, and 20 questions that relate to trait anxiety. Um, any score of greater than 40 equals the presence of anxiety. There's also been a new one that was created that's called uh, the State Trade Anxiety Inventory 6, which is actually only composed of six questions. So a lot of research has been done into this to pick out of those 40 questions, um, which six questions kind of best sum up um, anxiety. Right. And so they picked these great six and it worked really well. Um, and it has actually been validated specifically for the use during pregnancy, mm-hmm. which okay. is kind of cool. Okay. I wanted to jump in because I mean, Zach is... We've, we've had podcasts before we're talking about some of psychology research too. And it's interesting here that they, the question actually highlights, remember we talked about the difference between state versus trait, yeah. whereas a trait is something that's usually stable throughout the lifetime or, or for a longer period, whereas a state is something that can be affected by, you know, an event. And the one we looked at was, um, I think it was women's uh, change in state based on being shown images of kind of attainable, unattainable body images in the media and how that affects them. So uh, for the listeners, if you were listening to that podcast, uh, this one actually does both of those too. So it's going to get an idea of state anxiety and trade anxiety. And that's kind of neat with six questions. I mean, we've, uh, we've, we have discussed again with, with a lot of these uh, psychology research papers that most of the information you get from it, you can't like just take a blood sample and measure and, and, and be like, it's hard um, to quantify anxiety, it? right? So like having like the ability to put it on a score and like being when it's yeah. present sort of thing is very interesting. And like well, f- when we do those measurements, they're all going to be questionnaires, right? So right. Exactly. some of these questionnaires are really extensive. So having it six questions is, that's pretty cool, actually. That's really quick. Yeah, that's what uh, we like a lot about it is that it is only six questions. So you kind of, you get down to the to the point basically. And um, in the study that we'll, I'll be talking about a bit later, um, it's a big study and there's a lot of questionnaires. So if we can try and minimize the amount of questions in each questionnaire, it definitely helps um, the women. They're not sitting there for hours upon hours answering these questionnaires. It's a very quick one minute circling the quick answers. Right. Exactly. And I think with questionnaires too, if you have them too long, like they might be measuring what you want them to measure. But like if, if especially in the case of doing a state kind of analysis it's like well if you you do some sort of intervention to see how they respond to you know a stimulus let's say a stressor you know and then you measure their state anxiety well if you've got them doing a a a questionnaire for like 20 30 minutes like if it's a boatload of questions their state could actually change by the time they get to the end of the questionnaire so having it kind of you know short and snappy like that could be very advantageous yeah it's quick and to the point so an interesting thing about um anxiety scores in pregnant women is I think I mentioned before that a score of greater than 40 on the state um, mm-hmm. equals the presence of anxiety. So in uh, pregnancy, the mean score on the state is actually 37. 
which is pretty close to 40. So it kind of does show you there that um, women who are pregnant tend to have um, pretty like pretty high levels of anxiety, um, right. which I thought was pretty interesting. So they're already kind so, of bordering on that edge. Yes, exactly. They're already bordering on that edge. Yeah. So now why anxiety? What, what, why are we talking about it and how does it influence pregnancy? So um, lots of studies have looked at the influences of anxiety on pregnancy outcomes. So it's been shown that um, higher, women with higher levels of anxiety have an increased risk of obstetric complications. So obstetric complications are things like um, preterm delivery, uh, which is delivering your child before 37 weeks gestation. And a typical pregnancy um, is 40 weeks. So anything under 37 would be considered preterm delivery. Okay. Hmm. Um, so then with that also comes uh, low birth weight. So um, low birth weight is under um, 2,500 grams. Um, so that's considered low birth weight. And obviously that would come with preterm labor because um, infants who don't get those extra weeks are obviously going to be smaller. Uh, because they don't have those extra weeks um, to grow. Right. So um, there's been lots of research and studies that have looked into this. Um, and so it's been shown that, um, so they delivered the anxiety question that I had mentioned to you at approximately 20 weeks, which should be about half of your pregnancy. Right. And they actually noticed that 34% of women with high anxiety delivered infants that had low birth weight, compared to only 12% of women with low anxiety. So that's a pretty significant difference between women who aren't experiencing anxiety and women who are experiencing anxiety. Yeah, that's a big difference too to go from thirty-four to twelve percent, and that and that was just with um, sorry, the STAI. Remind me what that is. That's the that's the state the, trading. Okay, so that's just the okay. So there's no intervention here. They just said that women who are less anxiety or has left have less anxiety have less of a chance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so they just measured anxiety at the 20 weeks, and then they looked at birth outcomes. There was no intervention in the middle there. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, there's also with the preterm labor, um, another study that I looked at also shows that um, women who delivered infants preterm had higher levels, significantly higher levels of anxiety as well, compared to those women who delivered term, and even those women who delivered post-term um, had significantly lower levels of anxiety compared to the women who delivered preterm. Okay, neat. And that's uh, that's uh, it's really neat that you put that there because that kind of shows, um, you know, with the first one and why I asked that, there was, there was no intervention there is that all they did was measure women who had low anxiety versus women who had high anxiety and then looked at an outcome. And then the other way of doing it would to go the other way and to say, if you delivered preterm, measure those people. If you delivered normal term, measure those people. So it's a different way of kind of strengthening associations between, you know, what we see as kind of a cause and then a potential outcome, right? By looking at it from different angles. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. And a big problem with low birth weight and preterm delivery is that there is more risk of medical problems on the mother as well as on the baby. When you're delivering babies preterm, there can be lots of complications, you know, right. organs not fully developed. They can have heart conditions. There's so many other problems that go along with just being born preterm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we can try and, you know, help these women go to full term, that would also help their infant in their development. Cognitive development as well is one that is not often thought of, but 
infants who are born preterm often have um, difficulties cognitively. They're, you know, they become slower, cog- like developing those cognitive abilities. Mm. Right. So there's both mother, baby health, like everything, just from anxiety. Right. Just from anxiety. <laughs> That's exactly. very powerful, right? And I think no. people don't realize that if, you know, and it's easy to go numb to it. I mean, you, you look on, and this is anecdotal, this is just from me on social media, but it's like everyone makes jokes about how anxious or stressed out they are all the time. But then when you right. look at it in numbers and like how this can physically affect somebody, it's, uh, it can be kind of terrifying, right? Yeah. Yes, it can be. That's true. So what are some ways that, you know, we talked about all this anxiety and its influences, but how can we minimize this? Like there's got to be a way that we can lower this to help these women. So there's been a lot of research on um, just anxiety and exercise um, in the general population, Um, not as much in pregnancy, but in the general population, what we see is that um, exercising for at least 30 minutes has shown significant benefits in lowering anxiety levels, whether the aerobic exercise or resistance exercise, anything that, you know, gets that heart rate up has been shown to really um, decrease that anxiety. Mm. So everyone's always concerned about, well, how can I exercise when I'm pregnant? That's the biggest question that, you know, um, all women ask when they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's people out there like Stephanie, who we were talking about earlier, who have specific programs for these women that they can do because they do have to modify things when they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, but getting that exercise in, um, we're hoping, is going to lead to lower anxiety levels. So in pregnancy, the 2019 Canadian Guidelines for Physical Activity, um, and Dr. Matol actually helped with this guideline. Mm -hmm. Um, In this guideline, um, just like with everybody else, you're supposed to get 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity every week. Um, And that's usually about at least three days per week um, with pregnancy. You can start, you know, at two days and kind of slowly work your way up because if you weren't active before, you don't just want to jump in and start doing tons of exercise because that's also not good for the body and the baby you're growing. So if you can, you know, slowly work your way up to, you know, start at one day, then two, then three, it'll be much easier for you and better on your body. Um, so following these guidelines for pregnant women um, has been associated with a decreased risk of the obstetric complications that I had mentioned previously. So like low birth weight and um, preterm delivery, uh, as well as actually miscarriage. That's another one. Um, miscarriages are a big one with um, exercise. So increasing your exercise can also um, help decreasing the risk of a miscarriage. So how do they all kind of fit together? We talked about anxiety in pregnancy. We talked about exercise in pregnancy. We talked about anxiety and exercise. But then how do we put all three of those together? So there's one study that I looked at. It was done in 2013. There hasn't been that many studies that have actually looked at the combination of the three. Um, but this study in 2013, um, it actually looked at the effects of yoga. So like a lower intensity exercise, you know, with some stretching and some resistance, um, and so they, I think it was, how many weeks was it? So they measured anxiety at the 20th week of your pregnancy and then at the 36th week of your pregnancy. So that's before um, you be, um, before you're considered full term. So what they actually saw here, and they broke it down into, um, the, they used the state trade anxiety and they broke it down into trade anxiety and state anxiety. 
So in both cases, though, um, the women that were put into the yogurt group, they saw significant decreases in anxiety levels. So um, they saw a 15% decrease in their um, trade anxiety and 9% decrease in their state anxiety levels compared to the women who weren't put in any. They were just a regular control group. So just did your typical prenatal checkups and stuff. And they actually saw an increase in anxiety as pregnancy uh, progressed. Interesting. Now, I I wanted to kind of ask too, because I brought this up with Stephanie is, you know, there's been more push toward, uh, giving, I think, doctors more authority to prescribe exercise. Um, but there's also some people kind of saying, instead of putting that on on the doctors, we'll say, you know, as kinesiologists, let's come up with different ways. And I think Stephanie's a really interesting kind of case study for that, where she's really found a niche in that too. Um, so it's really interesting to see kind of on here with not just being compared to doing nothing, but like compared to actually doing doctor's checkups I like just normal care is is always kind of what we're comparing to when we look at different stuff, but people don't realize that a lot of time in, in research too is it's kind of sometimes it's just like our new treatment versus the status quo. So to this is not only says that it's it's good, but maybe shows that kind of the status quo is, is lacking in some ways too. And that exercise, you know, whether it be a yoga and stretching program or, you know, Stephanie focuses more on like actual resistance training um, whatever it is could actually like really supercharge that on, on many ways. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Like, you know, obviously our doctors can only do so much, but I think maybe having those, you know, kinesiologists and stuff with them that they can send the pregnant women to that can actually put together an exercise program that best suits them and, you know, can modify it as your pregnancy goes along because, there's lots of things that not just anxiety that can influence pregnancy. Like some women are put on bed rest during pregnancy. So obviously they can't be standing up and exercising, but you know, is there something that they could possibly do while they're, you know, on bed rest, just like, you know, maybe some stretches and stuff like that. So having those people that specifically focus on the exercise component with the pregnant woman would be such a, would be like a really good idea. And I, and I know even with, because anxiety is our outcome measure here, right? Anxiety being that it's something again we get from a, a self-report like we we measure how these people are feeling and that that can not only be affected by the exercise but even you know the program that this person's in like i know stephanie mentioned a lot of stuff about you know especially women going through their first pregnancy like having even just kind of a plan to like attack it right to really say you know i'm, I'm going to approach this and she says it is it's kind of like um like it's an Olympic athlete, like she trains them as if the, the, the birth is kind of like their Olympic event. Right. And it's, and, right. and in many ways, it's very stressful on your body and, and mentally and, and having kind of a build up to that too, um, may not even be just an effect of the exercise, but it may be effective just kind of that positive environment that you're in that can also reduce stress and anxiety. Right. Exactly. And that's something that a lot of um, people are starting postpartum as they do, and I don't know if Steph had mentioned it, but they do like um, postpartum, like mommy and baby walks. Right. So they all bring their strollers and put the babies there and they can all walk together. And so that's a good way to get new moms like out and, you know, meeting other new moms um, and they can, you know, interact and, oh, this is what's happening with my baby. And they can mm -hmm. talk about the different things that are going on that they may not have known because they are new moms. Yep. So getting them even before that into, uh, even a group session, you know, you do your group session of yoga and you're meeting these women that are in similar positions as you that may, 
you know, reduce your stress levels because that, you know, you're seeing other people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, a thing that's across the board for all types of exercise, right? Whether it's an organized sport that you play with, you know, some of your adult friends or, or you just go to the gym is, is a sense of community. Um, and that support is, is really important. And there's, there's no exception for, for pregnant or postpartum women for sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned some hormones at the beginning of this and we talk about how anxiety and stress are related, but how does these, how does anxiety and stress and these hormones actually fit in together with pregnancy? So in your body, um, a structure in your brain called the hypothalamus is what releases the corticotropin releasing hormone. And this hormone actually acts on the pituitary gland in the mom to release another hormone that I mentioned called um, ACTH. This ACTH acts on the maternal adrenal gland, which produces very high levels of cortisol. And cortisol is the typical hormone that everyone associates with stress. So when you're pregnant, cortisol actually has the ability to cross the placenta and influence the child. So when cortisol goes into the placenta, it actually influences the placenta's release of cortisol itself, as well as the placenta's release of placental corticotropin-releasing hormones. So this placental corticotropin-releasing hormone is pretty much the same as the maternal corticotropin-releasing hormone. It's just produced from the placenta. And this actually can act on the pituitary gland to produce even higher amounts of ACTH, which then produces even higher amounts of cortisol. So it's just this, you know, continuous loop of producing these high levels of hormones. And normally what happens is having too much cortisol can actually, it's called a negative feedback loop, and it can actually negatively feed back onto the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland to stop the production of those stress hormones. But when you're pregnant, the placenta just produces really high levels of CRH, which kind of just completely stops that um, negative feedback loop. So your cortisol levels are just going up so high. Hmm. That's really interesting. I like, I try to think of a way to kind of elaborate on that because we haven't introduced the idea of a positive or, or negative feedback loop. But yeah. yeah, essentially, your body releases cortisol in a response to stress, um, which can then be picked up by the placenta, which we'll just kind of assume is the baby at this point, which can actually make more cortisol. Um, yeah, exactly. when normally, if you have too much of something in your body, your body looks at that and goes, well, we need to shut down production. Right. And then it'll go back to the, the top of this little chain that we've got. And it'll say, you know, shut that down. We're not having any more cortisol produced. We've got enough of it. Um, yeah. But the, the placenta, if there's too much of it, can actually kind of interrupt that loop. Is that that's about right. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You got it. Yeah. So it's just like you said, it interrupts that, that loop. So your levels of cortisol just keep increasing. So as the woman progresses from her first trimester into the second into the third, her levels of cortisol are just continuing to increase, which has those negative effects on the baby. So pregnancy is basically what it, what it does. It, it enhances that maternal axis. HPA access it, it increases it. I just I just wanted to kind of say sorry um, with cortisol is um, cortisol is actually and we say this with psychology like if you're measuring someone with you know anxiety you would use a uh, the self report they say okay this is they answer the questions and 
but cortisol is actually something that we can measure in the blood and they do this yes, on it is. human studies. You do this in animals. And again, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, facets of, of someone's stress response, but cortisol is kind of one of those things. And when you're in situations of high stress, your body releases cortisol. And I mean, Christine, I, you might know a little bit more of it. I, I'm pretty sure it upregulates certain metab metabolic processes and, and burns more energy. And I know people that are in chronic stress um, can actually develop, you know, obesity and stuff because their body isn't able to manage energy as well. Um, do you have kind of like specific examples of like what that exactly does to the baby or could do to the baby potentially? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know there has been a couple studies out there that have um, compared different uh, BMIs for that. Um, and you are right. Typically women who have a, in, an increased BMI have higher level, higher stress levels. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure if that's just because um, that an increased BMI also um, increases the risk of complications during pregnancy right. or if um, because their stress levels are getting higher, they're putting on more weight than they typically should during a pregnancy. Um, so I don't know what the actual correlation is there, um, but typically women who are have an increased BMI have higher stress levels when they're pregnant. I think as like a golden rule is like anytime you see hormones that are imbalanced, the what happens is there's usually just an altered regulation of like your energy use, you know, and that, exactly. and that could mean, uh, potential developmental problems for the baby could mean putting on more weight for the mother. It could mean a whole lot of things, but usually it's like, it's such a finite balance system. Like the use of energy in the human body is so complex that like just the slightest thing can set it off. Um, and that's kind of almost, you see that happen everywhere. And I think it's, it's so common that they just, you know, they define a lot of these, uh, you know, hypertension. They're all just like metabolic disorders because it's just like yep. you just broadly define them as yeah. your body's not as good at metabolizing, which is using or gaining energy, right? It's, it's not as good at functioning in that way. And I think generally this could probably do the exact same thing, right? I would assume so, yeah. Cool. Awesome. So it's funny how you mentioned about being able to actually measure these hormones in the blood because the next study that I was going to talk about um, is actually about measuring these hormones um, in the blood during pregnancy. Perfect. So that's great. <laughs> so cortisol is the big one that we've been talking about. And so in this one study I'm going to talk about, this was actually done in 1999. So it is, a, a, is, an, is, it is an older study. But it is still uh, very important to the conversation of anxiety and pregnancy. So there were three time points in this study that they measured um, cortisol levels. So they did that at eight between 18 and 20 weeks gestation, and then between 26 and 30 weeks. And then they did 35 to 36 weeks. So what is seen in this um, and they also oh sorry, a secondary measurement was also um, if the women delivered preterm. So they measured uh, preterm level, like women who have preterm deliveries compare the cortisol levels compared to the women who delivered uh, at 40 weeks. So what was seen here, so between the preterm group and the um, full term group, they noticed that at every one of those time points I mentioned, that the preterm group actually had higher levels of cortisol. So that is showing here um, that uh, what I mentioned before, that higher levels of cortisol do lead to um, preterm deliveries. And that's kind of what is being shown in this, uh, this study. 
Another interesting finding was that throughout pregnancy, um, cortisol levels in both groups increased. So that is showing that enhancement of that uh, HPA axis, um, axis, whereas from the beginning of pregnancy to the end of pregnancy, you're seeing a natural increase in um, stress hormones. So if there's some way that we could uh, modify this so that the levels aren't increasing as much because of anxiety, since they already increase typically, it would be really helpful to the mom, uh, to the mom as well as to her baby. So I think that's a pretty a pretty interesting uh, finding that they did look at back in 1999. Good for yeah. them back in 1999, ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we looked at the hormones, and and we looked at preterm delivery. But how do the hormones and anxiety completely fit together? So a very similar study to the one I just talked about, but it was a, a more recent one. This was actually done in 2017. Um, and this one measured um, state anxiety levels during the second and the third trimester in comparison to cortisol levels and CRH levels. So we had the groups are split into two. There was a split into those with anxiety levels under that 40 mark, which means low anxiety. And those with anxiety levels at 40 or over, which means high anxiety. At all time points, they found that the women who had anxiety levels that were higher, so above 40 on that scale, they had higher levels of cortisol and CRH. So right there, it's showing us that connection between anxiety and these hormones and how they influence each other. Very interesting. Yeah, which is neat because this is one of those very rare cases where you could give somebody a questionnaire, ask them how they're feeling, and then something in the blood actually reflects that. Yeah. And exactly. um, we've got kind of the graphs in front of us, but there's quite a stark difference. Um, you know, if you're listening, you can't obviously see it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing um, for the women that score above 40. It's like the, the cortisol and the CRH levels are like way more. Yeah. It's not just a small difference, like it's a very large difference. So there has to be something we can do to help these women to bring those levels, you know, back down more towards normal. Right. So there's also a, um, in your body, there's um, this enzyme called 11-beta HSD. And um, it also shows here what 11 beta H, what anxiety can do to this hormone called 11 beta HSD. And so what 11 beta HSD actually does is in the placenta, it takes the cortisol and it converts it to an inactive form car, called corticosterone. And that doesn't have any influence on the health outcomes of the baby. So that's great. We have this horm- we have this enzyme that can modify these hormones so they don't have an effect on the baby. But how does anxiety influence them? And that's the problem. Anxiety, high levels of anxiety actually lead to a decreased expression of this enzyme. What that means is that it's decreasing its ability to convert that cortisol into the corticosterone. So it's not allowing it to have that proper function where it's converting, converting this cortisol. So anxiety, you're getting higher levels of hormones to begin with. And then the enzyme you have that changes the hormones from safely being bad to being good is now being modified and it can't do its job properly. Hmm. So it just goes back to that, that never ending big, huge, giant loop of 
you know, increased stress, increased anxiety, and it's just a never ending. It's just going to constantly increase unless we can do something about that. That's neat too, actually. Not only is there more cortisol, more the women that have more anxiety are less equipped to handle that cortisol. Right. Right. So not only is there just more of it, you're, you're impaired in, in dealing with it too, which, yeah. which like you said, compounds the issue. Exactly. So now that I've talked about all of this, what kind of is going on in the, the lab that I was working in? So they have actually, they're doing a very, very large study right now. Um, and one of the outcome measures is actually looking at the effects of a lifestyle intervention. So that is exercise as well as nutrition, um, how they influence the anxiety scores in these pregnant women. So this study is currently an ongoing study. Um, but I'm just going to go through some of the stuff that they're actually doing um, in their study. So what they're looking at. So the purpose of this portion of the study was to determine the effects of this lifestyle intervention program on maternal anxiety scores. So they're taking them at a whole bunch of different time points and seeing what is happening. So the hypothesis for us is that the um, anxiety scores will decrease from baseline, which is 12 to 18 weeks to the end of the intervention, which is done at 36 weeks gestation. Um, so there's a little bit of like inclusion criteria that, you know, you have to focus. And so these women do have to be in a single pregnancy because there is differences between women who are only having one baby as compared to twins and triplets. There are other stressors being put on the body when you're, you do have twins and triplets versus a single pregnancy. Yeah. Big difference. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, you just, I can only imagine, like, oh, yeah, multiply that by two or three. Yeah, exactly. So they also want them between 12 and 18 weeks of pregnancy at time of entry. Once you pass that 18-week uh, point, there's different things happening in your body and during the pregnancy, and we want to try and get those anxiety levels before those changes happen. They also are looking for uh, women in low-risk pregnancies. Um, so there's a big screening questionnaire that they that their healthcare physician does go through before they're allowed to participate because it is a physical activity questionnaire or physical activity intervention. Right. Um, you know, things like hypertension and diabetes, um, those can lead to different um, stressors that are on um, the mother, let alone just the stress of being pregnant. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's important. We, we point that out, too, with a lot of the studies we've covered on the show is just some of that demographic data and, you know, some of the health screening stuff is almost considered demographic data in that sense too. I know it's not by definition, but if you had a group of women that were diabetic before they got pregnant, it's like, you'd want to study those people separate because the effects might be way more, way less. You don't know. Exactly. Um, there might be precautions you have to take. So yeah, screening is very important here. Exactly. And you know, different conditions, um, people who have heart diseases or epilepsy, you know, you may not think it directly in affect how you're feeling um but some of these people do have to be on medication to treat their conditions um and i know that a lot of um, anti-convulsants so medication that is used for epilepsy um it actually can have a negative effect on the fetus so you know you're already feeling stressed out because the medication you have to take so you're not having seizures is already having an effect on your baby you know you kind of have to you know, take that as a separate group and look at how women in high-risk pregnancies, their anxiety levels are obviously going to be higher than women in low-risk pregnancies. So you can't, you know, you can't have them in the same group because they are affected differently. 
Yeah, there'd be no reason to, to put two very different groups together in one analysis because it just... exactly it doesn't make your analysis work properly. Exactly. No. Um, and then another one um, is they do have to be non-smokers because there's obviously lots of studies out there that show the negative effects of smoking on uh, an infant. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the intervention? What are they doing? So the intervention is composed of nutrition as well as exercise. So the exercise component, um, the women come to the lab once per week to do a walk. And then they do two more walks at home. So that's an aerobic exercise. So they're supposed to be walking three times a week. So what happens with the walking is that it starts at 25 minutes per session. You add two minutes per week until until 40 minutes is reached. And then you maintain that until delivery. So we're having that slow increase so that the women who are pregnant can slowly get into exercise. We're not just throwing all this stress of exercise on them at the beginning. And then the nutrition component. So there's a few goals with the nutrition component. Uh, The first one is the ingestion of 1,800 to 2,200 calories every day. Women are supposed to eat three meals plus two to three snacks every day with the goal of 200 to 250 grams of carbohydrates every day. And how we measure this, what they're eating, is they submit um, what's called a food intake log. So they record all the foods they're eating in a log, and they submit that weekly so we can go through it and see if they're you know, eating the right amount of calories and the right amount of meals. A lot of people think that um, you, know, you have a growing baby, so you're now allowed to eat for two. But that's a myth. You don't, when you're pregnant, you don't eat for two. Think right. of how small that that baby is that's inside you. You don't need to eat for two. You don't need to eat for two people. You just need to eat healthy. You need to make sure you are getting enough calories, but that they're, you know, healthy calories. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have, there's a whole list of food that the women are given. And it's, you know, it tells you that, you know, half a chicken breast is this many calories or, you know, all the different components of that. So, you know, there is lots of different things, um, that the women can do. And, you know, if there's specific diets that women are on, so if they're uh, vegetarian or vegan, um, then they can sit with one of the researchers and go through a plan that makes sure they're getting, you know, the right amount of protein in their system and the right amount of calories to, you know, help that baby grow. So there's the nutrition plan is very individualized to the women that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Now, is this, can I ask, is this something that's kind of happening um, just in the the Western community, or is this kind of like a Canada wide study? Uh, you'd mentioned they have to do they have to come in to kind of get some of the the counseling for for nutrition and whatnot. So this is just happening kind of in southwestern Ontario. Yeah, so this is happening just at Western in the exercise and pregnancy lab. So basically, anyone who can get to Western once a week to do this walk is able to is able to come and participate. And it's still an ongoing study, so there's still you know participants are still able to come and go obviously with COVID restrictions there's probably some restrictions on women coming into the lab and walk but there's lots of great technology out there you know you can do FaceTime or Zoom or Mm -hmm. whatever and you know the mom can still go outside and walk on the phone with one of our um, the researchers if that's you know what they need to do that's good adaptable research we like that exactly (laughs) and then um the last component is just the assessment. So the assessment that they do is what I mentioned, um, the state trading guide, the inventory six. So just that six question, easy peasy questionnaire that the woman can do super fast. 
Um, it asks six questions, um, pretty simple questions. Um, they include, you know, it's basically how are you feeling? So it's like, I feel calm is one of the questions. And then there's a scale from one to four. One being you don't feel calm at all. And four being you feel very calm. And then, you know, there's I feel tense. How, you know, how tense are you feeling? One, you don't feel tense at all. And four, you feel very tense. So there is different questionnaires or a different questions. And basically what happens here is that there's items that are called anxiety present items. So that like tense and upset means like you have the anxiety. And then there's other things that are called um, anxiety absent items, which is calm and relaxed. So there's a lot of flipping of scores that can go on here. Um, just, you know, so that there's a little bit of math that you have to do, but it's pretty simple math. Um, you know, in that way, people, it's a lot harder to um, cheat, I'll call it, on the thing. Be like, okay, you know, I don't feel that calm, but I'm going to say I do. So there is a little bit of math that goes on here. Um, but this is our nice, short and sweet um, assessment that they're using for this particular component of the study. Now, is it, because uh, we talked mostly about it, the, the anxiety and stuff relating to outcomes in pregnancy. I see that we've got, you know, the nutrition stuff added in. I'm assuming, I think most people who know, like you got to exercise and eat healthy too. Are there specific type of uh, nutritional requirements that would be modified for someone um, who's pregnant? And obviously they're going in and they're having professional advice as to this, but um, is that something that, you know, someone could just, hey, eat healthy? Or is there like maybe more specific guidelines that should be followed for, for the pregnant ladies? Um, I would say there's maybe a little bit more specific because there is certain, uh, like vitamins and nutrients that you need more of when you're pregnant, uh, like folic acid. Folic acid is a huge one for neuronal development in infants. Um, so that is something that you might need, but a lot of that, um, does come from a lot of women do take, uh, folic acid supplements. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one, but most of the time I think as long as you're eating like a healthy balanced diet, making sure you're getting enough carbohydrates, um, there really isn't too much uh, difference from being pregnant to not being pregnant, but you do have to make sure you're, you know, you're maintaining that um, healthy eating because there's a lot of people who assume, like I said, that you can eat for two people and it's like, okay, great. I'm going to gain weight from being pregnant. I can just, you know, eat all the ice cream or eat all the cookies that I want. But the problem is, is that, you're actually putting, you know, you're putting your weight on because you're, you know, there's an infant inside you, but you also don't want to put on more weight, which is called excessive gestational weight gain. And that can actually lead to what's called um, diabetes mellitus, which is a development of diabetes during pregnancy. So that can actually happen when you're not eating healthy, um, as well as when you're not eating healthy, you're now, and you're gaining too much weight during your pregnancy, you're now putting your infant um, at risk for obesity problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not as much that there's a super strict plan you've got to follow, but you do want to make sure that you're um, maintaining that healthy diet and getting all of the requirements. And that's something that um, a physician would talk to um, his, his or her patient about, you know, make sure they're getting those requirements. And, you know, if there's lots of nutritionists out there that take on pregnant women just to make sure they're, they're maintaining those healthy diets. No. You said the, uh, your work is still kind of waiting for some of the results here. Do we have any kind of expected results from this? Do we think the, uh, you know, the combination of having good diet 
and you know some light exercise will will benefit more than just exercise alone do you have any idea of what that might look like or any hypotheses well we're hoping that it's actually going to reduce the anxiety um Uh and the combination hopefully of you know eating healthy because i don't know about everybody else but for me when i eat healthier i actually have way more energy and i feel so much better Mm -hmm. we're hoping the combination between that um the exercise and that nutrition component is going to, you know, either reduce women's anxiety levels or another possibility is that it can maintain those anxiety levels throughout pregnancy. Because as I mentioned before, you do see that, you know, that increase in anxiety levels throughout pregnancy, even if we can't decrease them, even if we can just, you know, maintain that anxiety level, we're not going to see that significant increase in the hormones and the complications that we're seeing with anxiety. Excellent. Yeah, no, those would be some really excited results. And, and, you know, we hope that comes out too, because I think, you know, the more I've been in kinesiology, the more it's like, <laughs> you can just copy and paste exercise on, onto just about anything. And it just, right. it, it does so much good for everybody. And, you know, the background that, that, you know, Christine and I both have is huge advocacy for, for exercise in any capacity. And, and it's nice to see that, you know, there are people like yourself and your supervisors that are looking into, you know, some more high risk groups and in in the sense where we've seen pregnant women, right? We don't, we don't want to have any risk for health complications or, or increased anxiety. And, and it's, it's interesting that you've shown not only the evidence of heightened anxiety in pregnant women, but we have a knowledge of, you know, that access of how that exactly happens too, right? So you can have really targeted research. And uh, no, I think it's a really good study for sure. I like it a lot. Um, Zach, did you have any kind of final questions for Christine? No, did a really good job explaining everything. Made it uh, easy for a non-science guy like me to understand. Look at that. You made the finance guy understand. Great stuff. Excellent. <laughs> That's so, what I'm here for. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Christine, again, for, for being here. I know our listeners will appreciate your thoughtful discussion, and we look forward to some of the results here. Um, now, we like to usually kind of post information. We might be able to, to post your information if people want to uh, reach out to you at some point to kind of get some of the results. We don't know how many how many listeners will actually do that, but we like to be available for everybody. Um, and yeah, Zach, thanks for you or thanks to you for, for your thoughtful questions and everything too. I had to work real hard today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Zach Zach didn't have to work too hard. Good guess. Make for good Zach. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) No, Zach didn't, didn't talk a whole lot here with the, the pregnancy stuff, but if you want to hear more of his discussions again, he's the finance guy, head over to the fiscal frisk. New episodes Tuesdays and Thursdays. Fiscal Frisk. Fiscal Frisk. If you want to hear about fiscal and monetary policy, uh, music today is always brought to you by Daniel Hughes. So for Zach and I and for Christine, stay happy and healthy, and thanks for joining us on the Health Science Podcast. Mm-hmm.